listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'll be your host this evening, and for every episode, actually. Uh, this is the Guitar Workshop Podcast, the Guitar Repair Podcast, the, the podcast about the physicality of guitars, the science of guitars, right? Sweet. Here with me, as always, is my lovely co-host and wife, Melissa Daw. Hello, everybody. I think it's time to make the podcast great again. I agree. Yeah. It's really time. And uh, I've got something special for you guys. It really, I hope that you appreciate it because it really did take me a long time. It took me about three hours to get 10 minutes worth of material. But we're going to play it at the end of the show. Do you know what it is? Do you know what I'm talking about? Tell us about it. I had, I found myself having a large stockpile of various Dan Electro style lipstick tube pickups, but all from different makers. Right. Right, not all Dan Electro. Uh, so all from different makers, and I have been looking at these pickups going, I wonder which one of these sounds the best. Well, guess what? You did an experiment. I did an experiment. I recorded five different lipstick tube pickups from five different makers, and uh, we compared them, and, and the results really surprised me. I think that you'll really enjoy listening to it. Yeah. Intriguing. It, I know. It's cool. I You know, so many podcasts and magazines, guitar-based magazines and podcasts, do this kind of gear shootout thing, and I've never really cared. Because they're always shooting out something that... I would never buy, like, some weird <laughs> multi-effects pedal or some, you know, I don't know. Nobody, I've never seen anybody do a shootout with uh, with Dan Electro-style lipstick tube pickups. I've never seen a comparison. I'm sure somebody's done it. I've just never seen it. Anyway, uh, I've done it, and I hope you guys appreciate it, because it took me... <laughs> It took me a lot of a lot more time than I thought it would, but uh, it was really cool. It turned out really good. So we'll play that at the end of the show today. Sweet. Yeah. And uh, what else can I tell you? Yeah, I got nothing to report. I did smash my finger today in trying to make a fence, trying to build a fence. I'm so sorry. I know it's okay. It's not. It's not too bad. I don't think I'm going to be playing much guitar for the next couple of weeks. But what's a podcast if I can't, you know, what good is having your own podcast if you can't complain about, right. about your own personal right. life? Eric's finger is swollen and purple. Looks like a sausage. It's okay. Uh, let's, uh, yeah, I've got two, we've got two phone calls. Two? Yeah. I know. Wow. 
It's finally paying off. That's awesome. I've been asking people to call. So here's the deal. This is a question and answer type of a show, generally. And uh, I need you to participate in the show. Otherwise, we don't have a show. So please do so. You can call in a question at 757-774-8482. You can leave a voicemail there. I'll use your voicemail as part of the show. Any kind of question or comment, guitar-related, I welcome your questions. The other way to do it is to send an email. You can do so by going to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click the contact link and uh, send a message there, and I'll use it as part of the show. That's how it's done. All right. Shall we take a few calls? Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, Eric. This is truck driver Ken with a Another question on the road here for you. Um, I was listening to the Freck Files interview with you and uh, came up. Um, or not Freck Files, sorry. Freck Board interview. They interviewed you on there. And there was something you brought up at one point on there about uh, old casters and tellies. Uh, that uh, Something with the pickups and the sound you could just knock on the, on the guitar and you could hear it through the amp, and that that was the character that was unique for that time period that you don't see with the newer guitars, and that the ones that you're making, you're you're able to get that same thing. And I was kind of curious, because I just listened to the uh, Halloween podcast with Brett Files, and there was a section in there where someone was asking about pickups and winding pickups, and you were saying that you did something different with the... uh, magnetic part of that and I don't know too much about the understand the details but you had your own certain way of doing that and I was wondering if that associates with that knock that you could get in here through the amp um, to get that quality of sound or that type of sound so uh, yeah I was just trying to pick your brain and see if you'll give us a little bit more information about that thanks all right a call from the road yeah thanks thanks for the call uh, he was listening to the Fretboard Journal podcast, the interview that they did with me, where I was talking about the guitars I make. And yeah, the, I, I noticed a long time ago, you know, one of the things I love about 50s Telecasters, or at least most of them, it seems like most of them, you can, they're, they're very microphonic. You can knock on the body of the guitar, and you can hear an audible knock coming through the amp. And it's only really on the bridge pickup, and uh, it's 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 only really something that you see on those old guitars. You, you don't see it on newer Telecasters. Uh, and uh, his question was, does, does how I charge my magnets have anything to do with that? And the answer is no. It's an unrelated thing. I do charge my magnets a little bit differently than probably most uh, people that make pickups do. Um... I will just tell you, I I just I I charge them with huge neodymium magnets. Uh, they're really big. They're so big that if they were to come together and stick together, I wouldn't be able to pull them apart. They have an incredible amount of pull, um, and they're very big. They're like the size of a small brick. They they were really expensive and they're really big. And they're scary. And they're scary. And I've got them mounted on a track, where I put the pickup in there, and then I can bring the um, magnets up to the pickup, 
I feel like you charge it. You're giving away trade secrets no, here. It's not a big deal. Everybody's going to charge their magnets. This is how I do it. It doesn't have anything to do with what he asked about, but you know, I'll just tell you this is how I do it. But the reason I do it that way is because I can bring the magnets up to the pickup on a track and then charge the magnets and then I can pull the magnets away from the pickup uh and so the pickup doesn't pass through the magnetic field. So most people when they use neodymium magnets to charge their pickups, they use two small magnets, maybe um, hooked up to a, a clamp or something, and then they'll pass the pickup through the magnetic field and kind of charge the pole pieces one at a time. But when you do that, it I feel like, and I I don't I haven't done any experiments on this, so it's this is really not scientific, but I just can tell by when I when I'm passing the pickup through that magnetic field, I can feel the pull of the magnet, and I know that it's distorting the the charge of of the uh as it's as it's charging the alnico you're passing it through the through the magnetic field and it's and it's there's a weird distortion going on you that you can feel it you can feel it yeah. pulling <clears throat> that makes sense so by bringing the pickups up to so by bringing the magnets up to the pickup and then letting it sit there for a while and then pulling the magnets back away from the pickup it doesn't pass through the magnetic field, and I feel like it gets a better charge. It, is it true? I don't know. That's how I do it. Um, and I really like the results. That, that's, all I, that's all I can say about it. I don't have any scientific evidence of that, but um, that's how I do it. Uh, as far as the audible knock, the, the knock that happens when you, when you uh, knock on an old telly, and you hear it through the amp. I am able to recreate that on my guitars. It has more to do with how you put the pickup together and how you put the bass plate on the pickup and how you put everything together. And that's really all I'll say about that. But it, but it, it's just a, a different thing than uh, than the magnetic charge. But thanks for the question. I really appreciate it. Cool. Another call. Hey, Eric, this is Samuel from Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, I just had a question. I just recently bought a new Fender Mustang 90. It's one of the new offsets that they came out with this year. It's one with the P90s in it. It's a Mexican-made guitar, and uh, I actually really, really like it. I have some other beautiful custom guitars, and uh, but I really want a guitar with P90s, and uh, for 500 bucks, it plays really amazing. And uh, I just had a question. I was wondering if you would recommend to take the old pots out and put new pots in or a new bridge or a new jack or tuners or anything in that way. Do you think it would make the guitar better, being that it's Mexican and the parts might not be quite as good? Um, and maybe not. I would love your input. And, again, thanks for the amazing show. I appreciate it, and I've listened to all of them. And also, I appreciate your wife being such an awesome host. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Right on, Samuel. Thanks for the call. I'm not, I have to confess, I'm really not familiar with that particular model, so I don't know exactly what hardware and what pots it might have. Um, if... Uh, if I were you, what I would do would be to look at the electronics and, and make it a determination. If it has 
good full-size CTS pots, I wouldn't change them out. If it has the tiny little dime-sized Asian-made pots, I would definitely replace them. And then look at the jack. Does the jack say Switchcraft on it? If it's a Switchcraft jack, I wouldn't change it out. If it's anything other than a Switchcraft, I would change it out. Um, so you could you can look in there and make that determination. The hardware, the tuners, I mean, you say you love the guitar. I, I wouldn't mess with it if, if you're enjoying it. Uh, the only, really, the only recommendation that I might make if you were asking me what to change on it would be, uh, I'm sure it has a plastic nut. You could put a bone nut on it. That'd be an improvement. That's something that I would do to it. Uh, but as far as everything else goes, uh, you'll have to make that determination. Just take a look at the stuff and see if it's uh, well made. But the the uh, uh, the tuners, the hardware, the bridge, the pots, um, they're probably all pretty good. Uh, and like you say, you're liking the guitar, so, you know, go with what you got. All right. Yeah, that sounds good. Shall we take some questions? Sounds good. We have many. Here we go. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. My Strat has a reverse wound, reverse polarity middle pickup for hum canceling in the second and fourth switch positions. It does cancel hum, but there is slightly more hum when using the bridge and middle pickup together than when using the neck and middle pickup together. My question is, why is there a little bit more hum in one of the hum-canceling positions? It's not bothersome. They're both plenty quiet, but one just has a tiny bit more hum than the other, and I was curious if you might have an idea why. Got any insights? Thanks, Tom in Salt Lake City. P.S. Thanks for the great podcast. Right on. Thanks, Tom. Uh, He's got a strat. Okay, I understand the question. So... Um, the reason, my guess, the reason is that there's a slight discrepancy. Uh, you know, in order to cancel hum, two pickups have to be reverse wound and reverse polarity, and they are, in your case. And they also have to be as close as possible in output. So, they, if they both read 6K ohms on a, on a ohm meter, then they're going to cancel hum more effectively. If one reads 5.5k ohms and one reads 6.2k ohms, the farther away you get, the less hum they cancel. And so that's my guess, is that uh, your your neck and middle pickup uh, are more closely matched than your bridge and middle pickup. Yeah, why is there more hum when using the bridge and middle pickup. Yeah, so my guess is that your bridge pickup is slightly hotter, which would not be unusual, and that's why there's a little bit more hum. That is actually really fascinating. That's my guess. I mean, there are other possibilities. It may be, I don't know if these pickups are replaced, I don't know if they're if they're different brands, I don't know anything you know, he didn't right. really expound upon that, but the other possibility is sometimes you see a situation where someone has replaced a pickup and rather than trim the leads back um, to be as short as, as, as you know, necessary just to reach their solder points, <clears throat> they'll just take the whole, because when you buy a pickup, it comes with like a, you know, a foot and a half of wire right. and you generally don't need that. You usually trim it back. 
but sometimes you see someone has put in a pickup and just left all the extra wire in there and coiled it up. Well, that makes a really good antenna. So it may have uh, a, a situation with that, but uh, I, if that were the case, then you would hear it when just that one pickup was on. So, huh. th- And since that wasn't his question, I'm assuming that he's got mismatched coils slightly. It would be interesting to find out. Get yourself an ohm meter, or maybe you already have one, and uh, test the outputs of your pickups and see if they all match or if there's a discrepancy. Uh, it's not unusual, like I say, it's not unusual to have a slightly hotter pickup in the bridge position. So, uh, in fact, it's kind of beneficial, of course. Uh, so, yeah, that that's my guess. So check that out. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Tom. Can you recommend a humidifier for acoustic guitars? What is the best one on the market, in your opinion? Thank you. Larry in Casa Grande, Arizona. Sure, yeah, thanks, Larry. Um, my recommendation is to keep them in a humidified room. That's really the best way to do it, um, rather than trying to humidify just the microclimate of the guitar by putting something in the sound hole or something like that. Uh, you want to humidify your whole house or the room you keep your guitars in. That's really the best option. Uh, he's in Arizona, so I'm assuming it's very dry there. Yeah. I've never been, but I've heard. A safe bet. <laughs> uh, and so that's really the best way to do it, is to humidify the room or the whole house. Uh, if you have to do a, uh, uh, in the case, humidifier, there's really not any one better than the other, I don't think. You, you just add water to it and... Uh, put it in the sound hole or keep it in the case or whatever. Um, but it's really kind of a lacking way to do it. The best way is to humidify the room. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Larry. Eric, I am an amateur guitar player and tinkerer. I have a Squire Telecaster that I relict, and the last thing I'd like to do is install a mini humbucker in the neck position. Can you describe the process and any tips and tricks you may know from cutting the pick guard, how to secure the mini... Mine has machine bolts and not wood screws. And if the existing pots can accommodate the mini. I am a religious listener to your podcast and enjoy it very much. Regards, Peter. Right on. Thanks, Peter. Sounds cool. Uh, How to install a mini humbucker in a telly? Well, you have to route out the body. And really, there's no other way to do that than with a router. Uh... Hammer and chisel? No, I've, I see that from time to time. Somebody <laughs> somebody goes nuts with a with a, a hammer and chisel. Don't uh, do that. Yeah, don't do that. That's a bad that's a that's a bad thing to do. Uh, really, the way it's done in a professional shop is you use a router and a template, um, and you use a special bit that has a ball bearing on it that follows the template, and then it cuts the wood as you follow the template with the ball bearing. Uh, it's pretty involved, you know. If you're if you're only going to do this one guitar, you might you might want to have it done professionally. Um, there are uh, other ways to do it. I, you know, I've seen people do it with a Dremel. Um, you know, still it's it's best to use a template. And then, as far as cutting out the pickguard goes, 
Uh, again, you can use a router, or you can uh, also um, you can use a uh, scroll saw if you've got a steady hand <laughs> and you and good karma. You're feeling good that day. <laughs> you can use a scroll saw, cut it out, uh, and then you can use like files to uh, to straighten up the edges or sandpaper. The trick is going to be the corners if you do it that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that can be really difficult. So really that's kind of a that's kind of a pro level job. I it's it's hard to uh it's hard to do that unless you've got the right equipment, a router, the proper template. As far as installing it, um he says he's got the one that has machine bolts and not wood screws. So I'm guessing from your description that you've got a mini humbucker that uh sits in a P90 ring or you know the Les Paul deluxe style ring and those are meant to install into a uh, an aluminum uh, strip that mounts into the guitar in the bottom of the cavity Stumac sells them Stuart McDonald sells them it's it's just a little aluminum strip with two wood screws that that hold the strip down and then on the ends there is a threaded hole and that's where your that's where your screws screw into but i'm trying to picture that and it sa- it, it it sounds weird to me to have a telecaster with a deluxe style mounting so i would want to do it with a pitguard mount it's a squire is that a, is that the same Oh yeah, yeah. Squire Telecaster. Yeah, he's got okay. a Squire Telecaster. Sorry, I just showed my in- ignorance. No, that's fine. Um, so if you're gonna do that, I would prefer to have a pit guard mount, um, and maybe you already do. I, I, he just said that he's got. It has machine bolts and not wood screws. So, um, if you can, I would I would do a pit guard mount on that, because that's gonna look best. Yeah. He also asks. Will the existing pots accommodate the mini? Sure. I mean, you can put any pot in there you want. It's just going to sound slightly different with different values. Uh, I'm guessing it has 250k pots. And uh, if it sounds too dark, then you can go to 500k pots. But it will also affect your uh, your bridge pickup, so keep that in mind. Okay. Thanks for the question, Peter. Is there any good way to get a decal off a headstock? Say I was looking at a used neck or somebody threw their own random decal on the headstock. Greg in Seattle. Thanks, Greg. I uh, d- it it depends on the situation. Um, a lot of a lot of headstock decals are just put right on top of the finish, and they're very easy to cut, to get off. You can almost just pick them off with with a fingernail or or use a little bit of polishing compound and they'll rub right off if it's finished over which is often the case then you're you're gonna have a lot harder time and it's almost not worth it to try to get it off because you're gonna have to sand down the finish enough that you'll probably have to refinish the headstock to do so and you'll be able to tell i mean maybe not from a picture but you'll be able to tell if you've got the neck in your hands is this decal on top of the finish or is it finished over uh, again, if it's on top of the finish, easy to take off. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Hello, Dawes. Big fan of the podcast and look forward to it every month, give or take. 
How do you radius your Fred wire? Does he mean that he looks forward to it, give or take, or that we do it every month, give or take? I think that we do it every month, give yeah. or take. Okay. Because sometimes... Well, you're optimistic, aren't you? Yeah. I think he means... No, I'm just kidding. I. Uh, yeah, we do this podcast every month, give or take. Give or take. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you radius your Fred wire? Do you have the fancy three-wheel Stumac machine or homemade equivalent or some other method? Also, how tight a tolerance do you need with your fret wire radius? Will pre-radiused 7.25 wire is it work well enough in a 9.5 fretboard? Though presumably not the other way around. Or do you have to match it much more closely? Cheers, Scott in London. Cool. Thanks, Scott. So he's talking about fingerboard radius and and fretboard radius, fret wire radius. Right. Do you know uh, what he's talking about? Yes, but you should explain it. Well, I just, you know... Just to make sure that you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, yeah, you know what a radius is, right? Right, I oh, mean, so like a 7.25 inch circle is going to be this big and a 9.5 inch circle is going to be this big right. right so it's it's a it's a gentler curve the right. bigger the number the gentler the curve anyway uh i do have one of those nifty little three-wheel fret bender units it's not the stuart mcdonald one it's actually one that some somebody made uh and i i bought i think i bought it on ebay you know a a guy that makes some luthier tools uh, made it, and it works great. I do definitely overbend the fret wire. Y- you want to do that. Um, I don't see any r- anything wrong with using 7.25 uh, wire in a 9.5 fingerboard, but it depends on the fret slots. If you've got a nice tight fit, and if you're also using some glue, which I usually do, uh, and you've got a uh, like an arbor press, um, or you know, however you're going to do it, it just depends on the situation. It really does. It, it varies from guitar to guitar, and and you kind of have to get to know uh, just the process of fretwork in order to know. Uh, what's going to work and what's not going to work. But yeah, I I usually like to, to overbend it quite a bit. You know, that that keeps your um you know, if you just if you just put a if you just put a straight piece of fret wire in a neck and there's two ways to install it, right? One is with a hammer, you tap it down. Right. The other way is with an arbor, which is kind of like a drill press and you you pull a lever and this thing comes down and presses it in and it has a curved call that forces the fret in. If you just used a straight fret, then the ends would want to pop up. Right. So you over radius the fret wire and that way um it it tends to stay put better. That makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I do I do over radius quite a bit. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Okay, thank you for taking my inquiry on inquiry on the podcast about intonation in open E tuning. I can supply further information about my quandary. Well, this is a follow-up from last month, I believe. Yes. I have an Epiphone SG with 1148 gauge strings. 
My action is slightly on the higher side since I attempt to play slide and fret the guitar. I am basically trying to copy Derek Trucks. You mentioned the action could play a role in why I am having issues to get my intonation correct. The truss rod is tight since I prefer a flatter neck. My follow-up inquiry is to is do I have to purchase an expensive tuner to set intonation or will my clip-on tuner work fine for this application? Many thanks again. I love the podcast and enjoy hearing how well you and your wife interact. It is inspiring to my new marriage. Cheers. Hey. All right. <laughs> Corey, south of Boston. Cool. Thanks, Corey. We don't get along very well. We do. We get along really well. And how long have we been married now? I know. I'm just wondering if you do. <laughs> Six and a half years. Is that right? We met in uh, 1990. Wait, 2008? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,. Do you have to do you have to have an expensive tuner to set intonation? Well, the more accurate your tuner, then the more accurate your intonation is going to be. You can use those inexpensive clip-on tuners and they are much better than they used to be, so you'll probably get a perfectly reasonable intonation set by using it. Um the thing about it is that uh the tuner that I use to set intonation is actually way more accurate than your ear. So it's probably overkill, really. Right. But the better tuner you can use, the the more accurate you're going to be able to get it. So, uh, I you know, I don't want to give you a, a two-sided answer there, but, it you know, I guess my answer is try it and see. You know, I, I I I don't normally set intonation with a cheap tuner, so it's hard for me to say. But I I assume that you'll be able to set it okay. It should be should be acceptable. But if you're still having intonation problems after that, you might have some other issue. Are the nut are the nut slots too high? Are you pressing down too hard? You know, a lot of people with big frets have that problem. They they press down too hard and they actually pull the note sharp. Huh. Yeah. I mean, there's so many considerations, but I think he said he's playing mostly slide, so if you're playing a lot of slide, then intonation is kind of on you. It's really not even, not really adjustable. <laughs> it depends on where you put the slide. All right. Good luck, Corey. Let's take a break, shall we? Oh, sure. I think it's that time. We'll be right back. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you'd need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. 
Eric Dawes, Pinup Custom Guitars. Can't say enough good things about him. PinupCustomGuitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster-style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage-style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat, 50-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I have the money, I don't ten of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods, specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed. Thank you for saying that they're beautiful. And um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site, where, if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful, handmade, made-to-order guitar strap from yours truly. Do you take custom orders? I do. They're beautiful. You have to see them. MelcoLeather.com. Right? Right. Uh, as I make guitars, you know, we share a shop in the backyard there. As I'm making guitars, she's sitting in the other corner making straps, and I see her make these straps. She's so meticulous and so gifted. And Thanks. You're such a craftsman. Craftswoman? You're such a crafty person. <laughs> you're so crafty. <laughs> uh, really high-quality leather, handmade leather guitar straps. Check them out. MelcoLeather.com Hi guys, as always, love the show. The horror stories were great this year. Wish I had more of my own to add. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, right. Uh, what are your thoughts on adding a middle pickup to a Telecaster-style guitar? I like the idea of the added versatility of those in-between strat positions, but every Tele I've played that has a middle pickup just doesn't seem to keep the traditional Tele sound when you're in the normal Tele pickup positions, if that makes any sense. I guess to simplify my question is, can you add a middle pickup and not change the sound of the guitar as it was? Thanks. Hope that makes some sense. Thanks again for the show. Kurt from Seattle. Cool. Thanks, Kurt. Um, if you put a middle pickup in a telly, it kind of makes it a Strat, so I'm assuming that you're going to have a Strat-style five-way switch. And if that's the case, then you are going to lose 
one position that normally is on a telly, and that's that middle position with the outer pickups. Because if you have three pickups and a five-way switch, then that middle uh, setting is going to be just the middle pickup by itself instead of the bridge and, and neck pickup together. So that setting is different. Everything else should be the same. I mean, the neck pickup alone, the bridge pickup alone, the sound won't be affected by the fact that there's another pickup in there. Uh, so if that makes sense... But um, yeah, you, you just lose that. You just lose that one setting. So, um, and and I guess it could be wired to do pretty much anything you want, really. I mean, if you use a super switch, you can get basically any combination you can think of. So, you know, the sky's the limit. A super switch. Yeah, super switch is a five-way position, a five-way switch that has. Um, about 20 solder lugs on it and and it's it's got uh the capabilities of being wired pretty much any way you want to wire it wow yeah that sounds super swell it's cool cool yeah i think they're 20 bucks nice mm-hmm. 25 bucks maybe all right thanks kurt oh here's the consideration oh, though what? here's the other consideration yes. if if you put a super switch in a telly they don't always fit they're big it's a big switch. Oh. Yeah. It's, wow. It's a big switch. I thought you were going to tell me like a wormhole would open up or something. Mm. The Telecaster would implode. No. Okay. Thanks, Kurt. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Hope you're doing good. I have a question for the podcast. Yes, indeed. A customer wants me to mod his telly. Don't worry. It is an already modified Mexican one. He makes experimental noisy free jazz and is asking for a P90 behind the neck pickup. Do you see any problem with wiring the stock wiring and the P90 to a three-way toggle? So in the middle position, whatever is selected on the tele switch will mix with the P90? Also, how do you get the tele bridge pickup and P90 to be home canceling in this scenario, which would be ideal for him? I am not sure I can find out the polarity slash winding direction of the P90 prior to buying it. And then I am not sure if these are easily opened up for surgery. Thanks, Nikolai. And he's from shoreguitars.de. That's S-C-H-O-R-R guitars.de. Cool. Thanks, Nikolai. He wants to... Man, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. He wants to put a P90 in there and then wire it up to a three-way toggle. So the stock wiring and the P90 go to a three-way toggle so that in the middle position, whatever is selected on the tele switch will mix with the P90. Well, that sounds interesting. I've never done it, so I... Does he mean, like, P90 physically deeper in the guitar than, the, like, well, I don't literally think so. behind? No, I'm sure that he just... I just am really confused about this question. I'm... <clears throat> I'm guessing that he means as a middle pickup. Oh. Between the other two. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of like the last question we had there, but I, that's my guess. I don't know. It, it's it's a little unclear. Um, also, he says, how do I get the Tele Bridge pickup and the P90 to be hum-canceling in this scenario, which would be ideal uh, I'm not sure I can find out the polarity or the winding direction of the P90 prior to buying it. So, yeah, you can do that. Um, there, there, 
they're really easily modified. Um, uh, most P90s are uh, pretty easily modified. You can flip the magnets if you need to. You can reverse the leads if you need to. So that's usually pretty easy to do. Uh, and you'll need a, uh, a polarity tester. A magnetic polarity tester. I've got, it's, you know, I've got one that's specifically made for guitars. It's just a little tube and it has a magnet in there. You hold it up to the pickup and it says black or white. Black is, you know, south up and white is north up or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but it's something like that. And so you'll need to tell which, you know, you'll need to, you'll need to determine uh, the polarity of each pickup. So, um, a polarity tester will help. And then from there, it's hard to tell the direction of the winding until you wire it up. Um, sometimes it's impossible to tell just by looking at it. So uh, you'll need to know the polarity and the winding direction. But I made a handy-dandy little chart. I remember. remember that chart? Yes. A, a few episodes back, it's it's the, uh, the uh, episode image. There's a chart for what's going to happen... Uh, in each scenario. Can you find that on the fretboard, or uh, sorry, fret files? The fret files. Uh, Facebook page? Uh, oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. If you just go back a few episodes, it's there. Cool. On the on the podcast website. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks, Nikolai. Hi, Eric. I'm practicing the art of replacing frets on a few cheap guitars that I bought as guinea pigs. My biggest challenge so far is this. I can get a pretty even fret job going, but then when I go to clip the ends of the extra overhang on each new fret, it seems like the force of the nippers moves the fret just enough that it throws off my level fret work. How do you trim excess fret wire after installing new frets? Randy. Cool. Thanks, Randy. Uh, what I do, the best way to do it, I think, is that I, I put a clamp on there before I trim them. Wow. Yeah, I clamp. So I've got a, you know, a pretty big uh, radius block. So the, so it's a mirror image of the fingerboard. So it's like if you're working with a seven and a quarter inch fingerboard radius, then I've got a big wooden block that has a cutout that is the mirror image of the fingerboard to the same radius. Right. I'll clamp that to the fingerboard. I'll put a... Uh, I've got a call that fits on the back of a neck. Clamp it together. Make sure it's nice and tight. And then, you know, you put your uh, radius block just almost up to the edge of the fingerboard on one side so that you can get the nippers in there and trim each each piece of fret wire almost flush to the fingerboard. That sounds like a pain in the rear end. Well, fret work in general is a a pain in the rear end. I enjoy it. It's a little tedious, but... (laughs) Uh, you know, that's just, uh, it's really, I mean, as far as all the work involved in fret work, that process is nothing. Oh, you know, wow. That's no big deal. Just a clamp and a, and a couple of, uh, calls. No big deal. Huh. And that's the way to do it because you really do have to put quite a bit of force on the fret when you cut it and it will mess up your fret work if you're not careful. I also, I cut them sideways so that the the nippers are coming in from side to side rather than up and down. That makes sense. And that that's helpful, I found. Yeah, I guess I never thought about it, but that's that would that 
it's very a, a jarring, traumatic thing to do. Yeah. If you don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still trying to get over this cold I've had for eight weeks. Yeah, I don't know how long. Uh, if you don't have a radius call to fit over the fingerboard, I've seen people do it with dowels. So they'll put a dowel, uh, one on each edge of the fingerboard, and then just a flat call, a flat board over that so that the pressure is being applied only to the edges of the frets with the dowels. That makes sense. Yeah. How do you get the keep the dowels from sliding off the fingerboard, though? Well, you clamp it, and it'll enough downward pressure to keep them from sliding. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that doesn't sound like very much fun to me. No, it's it's a pain, but that's how you do it. All right. Thanks for the questions, guys. That wraps it up, and we're going to now do... Dun dun dun. Our Dan Electro pickup shootout. Cool. Here we go. Stay tuned. guys know I love Dan Electro guitars or if you've if you've listened to the uh, podcast for very long you know that I love Dan Electro guitars uh, especially the vintage ones and um, I've ended up with just a big pile of all kinds of different Dan Electro style lipstick tube pickups and I thought that it really would be a cool thing to compare them all on the podcast so that's what we're going to do I've I've made recordings of uh, five different pickups, and we're going to compare them. <clears throat> I've got a vintage Dan Electro, uh, the original lipstick tube that uh, came with this guitar. And the guitar that we're going to use here is a, uh, a an early 60s Dan Electro convertible. And I'll put a, a picture of it in the show notes. I'll put a picture of it and the amp and all the pickups. Um, we've got a, we've got a vintage Dan Electro pickup we're going to hear. We've got a Seymour Duncan. We've got, uh, uh, a Korean, you know, one of the cheapy Asian pickups that we're going to hear. I've got a Kent Armstrong lipstick tube pickup that we're going to hear. <clears throat> we've got one of, uh, Doug Tullock's Neptone pickups. If you're a longtime listener to the podcast, you might remember I, I interviewed Doug Tullock he is a world-renowned Dan Electro expert, and he's making his own pickups now, too. So uh, he wrote the Neptune Bound, uh, the book about Dan Electros. That's a great book. Uh, if you haven't checked that book out, you should check it out. Uh, and if you haven't heard the interview I did with Doug, I think it was last year, or I don't know. It's been a while. But you should go back and listen to that. That's a great interview. So he's making really true to the original uh, recreations and uh, what else do we have? I don't know. Well, let's 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 check it out. Let's just dig right in. First up, we're gonna hear the uh, original pickup that came with the guitar. It's the the 1960s lipstick tube pickup, and I'm running this all through 
a uh, a little Fender Vibro Champ, mic'd up with a SM58, and uh, I've got the amp set um, to five on volume. I've got the bass and the treble set at six, and uh, so it should be, you know, I'm not going to change any of the settings in between pickups, and I'm going to measure the uh, distance from the strings so that I make sure that I'm getting a an even comparison here. But yeah, first up, Vintage Den Electro Pickup. Let's give it a listen. pardon my playing there. I'm going to try to kind of play the same thing on all of these pickups, but um, next up is one of the common Asian-made Dan Electro lipstick tube pickups. Just the common, you know, just the Asian uh, one that that comes on all the reissues, and uh, we'll hear that. Here we go. Next up is a Seymour Duncan lipstick tube. Same guitar, same riff, same amp, same setup. Here we go, Seymour Duncan. up is a Kent Armstrong lipstick tube. Same guitar, same setup, different pickup. Kent Armstrong.
last but not least is a Neptone pickup by Doug Tullock. This is the Neptone pickup. This was really interesting to me. I I was actually surprised how how good they all sounded and how similar they all sounded. Uh, <clears throat> my least favorite was the Asian one. I I I felt like it it uh, lacked a little bit of something that the others had. Um, I don't know why. I really don't know why, and I don't know exactly. Uh, what magnets or what wire each one of these pickups is using. I know some of them. I know the vintage Danos use an Alnico 6, as 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 is Doug Tullock is, is using an Alnico 6 for his Neptones. But, um, you know, there's I couldn't find the information for some of the other pickups, so I don't know. But uh, I do know what they all read on an ohm meter, and it was all kind of similar. The vintage Dano was 3.4K ohms. The Asian remake was 4.0K. The Duncan was 3.4K. The Kent Armstrong was 4.9K. It's kind of a hot pickup for a, for a uh, for a lipstick tube. And the Neptone pickup was 3.7K. So they were all in that, you know, 3 and 4 range that you co- you find commonly on those on those Dan Electro pickups. Um but you know, I thought they all sounded great. Um I guess, you know, here, here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to take little snippets, and without me talking in between, I'm going to play them in order. The Vintage Dano first. I'm just going to play just a few seconds of each one for each, for all five pickups so you can hear them all back-to-back and uh, make your own conclusions here. And I'd love to hear your feedback. After you uh, listen to this podcast, uh, you should write to me. Let me know what you thought of each pickup. Let me know what you thought sounded best. Let me know what you thought. Pickup one is the vintage Dan Electro. Pickup two is the Asian remake. Pickup three is the Seymour Duncan. Pickup four is the Kent Armstrong. And pickup five is the Neptone. Here we go. Just a few seconds of each. Again, I'm actually kind of amazed at really how good they all sounded. Uh, I would definitely play any one of these pickups, but I'd love to hear what you think. Drop me a line, ericdaw.com. Send me an email there, or you can always call and leave a voicemail, 757-774-8482. 
Well, if you're interested in purchasing any of these pickups, of course, you could do so. The vintage Dan Electro pickups, the real ones, tend to sell for about 100 bucks on eBay. The uh, Asian remakes tend to sell for about 30 to 40 bucks, and you can get them anywhere, really. All Parts has them. They're all over eBay and Reverb. Uh, Seymour Duncan, same thing. You can get them just about anywhere. 85 bucks is what they sell for, typically. Kent Armstrong has his own website, kentarmstrong.com. You can get them there, and they're also distributed by WD. And it looks like they average 70 to 95 bucks a piece. And the Neptone pickups, I think Doug is just primarily selling those on eBay right now. They're easy to find. Just type Neptone into eBay. That's N-E-P-T-O-N-E. Neptone, because these guitars were originally made in Neptune, New Jersey, right? But you knew that. Anyhow, that's the Dan Electro pickup shootout. I thought it was really fun. And uh, I want to thank you for listening. And thanks for participating in the show. If you want to send in a question, it's easy to do. Leave a voicemail at 757-774-8482. Or go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and submit your question there. Thank you so much uh, to my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. And thanks to you for listening. I appreciate it. We will see you next time. <laughs>